Bethany. I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. And we have a first on Sunday School Cinema today. We have a guest, uh, Emily Rose Reinecke. (laughs) Our first guest. Emily Rose Reinecke is here. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I might. Um, (laughs) So I am Emily Rose Reinecke, and I'm on a podcast called Idle Curiosities. It's a weekly search-driven podcast with me and Jason Hellman. Um, and that's our theme music, which I am playing as a joke. Um, <laughs> Nicely done. It's a good podcast. I, I, I listen to it every week. It's good. I guess ca- calling it a weekly podcast at this point is generous at best. Yeah, that might be a stretch at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, it has been oh, well over a month since I have brought myself to edit a podcast because it turns out mental health sucks. Accurate. Accurate. Um, and occasionally I guest on there and we talk about movies. And one time I just guessed it on a regular episode. <laughs> and I don't think Joel has guessed it yet, but I assume he eventually will. Uh, no, I was Joel on have- the I was on the one about uh, the Santa Claus movie. Yeah, but not one of the regular episodes. Yeah, but I haven't been on a regular one, no. Yeah, because Jason wasn't there, so it, doesn't, it almost doesn't count at all. That's true. Yeah, it wasn't a real episode. I have never spoken to Jason. I don't know Jason at all. Jason That's is the shame. best of the humans. Uh, he does seem very entertaining. I enjoy him a lot on the podcast, but I've never spoken to him. He's both the best and a complete nightmare of a person. <laughs> <laughs> we just, he's a neurotic mess. He is, but like in a cute way, which like if you have to be a neurotic mess is the best way to do it. <laughs> Anyway, so when we decided on doing Boondock Saints this week, Joel immediately was like, you know what? We should have M on as a guest. Joel, why did you feel that this needed to happen? Well, because when uh, uh, M and I knew each other from our our respective time at Multnomah University, the (laughs) terrible Bible college in Portland, Oregon that we both went to for a brief time. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point during our tenure there, you were only there for a year, right, Em? Oh, yeah. There for two years. Yeah, you were just one year. Yeah, I was there for two years. But so at some point during the year that we were both there, uh, well, I, I say at some point, I know exactly when it was. It was St. Patrick's Day. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah you, you invited, you and your wife invited several people over to your apartment to watch the Boondock Saints, which I gathered was a yearly tradition. Yep. Uh, so myself sure, and... Yeah, uh, I was going to ask if it's still was. Friends went over and and watched the Boondock Saints with you, and which I recall as being one of your favorites. So I figured you'd probably have a lot of thoughts about it. Oh, you bet I do. Um, yeah, spoiler alert: it has not aged well. Sure <laughs> has it. Yeah, you know this is. Well, obviously we'll get into it, but it was you know I first saw this movie when I was like eighteen or nineteen or something, and thought it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I guess is, you know, 18 or 19 year old white dude is kind of the target audience for it. It's ideal. But, oh, uh, yeah. but uh, then, you know, at some point over the next year or two of my life, I saw Reservoir Dogs and realized that almost everything good from Boondock Saints was just lifted directly out of Tarantino and some of the bad as well. So I'm, I'm a little bit less impressed with it these days. I think Reservoir and Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, there's you know yeah there's a little uh, yeah there's a little of both I mean those would have been the only those would have been the big Tarantino movies when this came out right yeah 1999 <laughs> well Pulp Fiction was 99 wasn't it it's a question I don't know the answer it had to have been around then 
I would think. Yeah. I thought it was a little earlier. It was 94. It it was 94. Okay. Yeah, I'm off there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I probably saw Boondock Saints for the first time around the same time. And I also loved it um, as not uh, as the same time for me. So I was probably 19 or 20 um, <clears throat> as not a dude. But um, I, I have thoughts about why some of which is just the very shallow fact that the two leads are really attractive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, weird choice. To, it's a weird choice to make them brothers when they all butt fuck on screen. I mean, I, well, I, that that sounds ambiguous the way I say it. They don't all butt fuck on screen. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does not happen. But they do everything except fuck on screen. Is that what? Yeah, exactly. That was what I was going for. Yeah. Uh, it just I really, want to it see your like, version. <laughs> it seems like it really seems like they they made them brothers to try to dispel the the the, the homoerotic elements of their relationship or something. I don't know. It's weird. That did occur to me this time through. <laughs> They also don't look even remotely alike. Like they're not oh, really no. people as brothers. But I mean, to be fair, no one would look at you and our other brother and say, "Ah, those two are brothers." That's true. I mean, that can happen. But also, their their whole family history is very confusing to me. But we'll get into that later. That's an aspect of the movie that I, I have questions about. But <laughs> well, how do we want to start? Do we want to go through the plot? What 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 do we want to do here? I'm open. Uh, I, think, I think we should start by talking about the merch. <laughs> Is there much merch? Did I own, did I own two this? hoodies? Yes, I did. Two hoodies? Okay. Wow. What, what was on like the hoodie? One for each of them? Or what was the... Uh, one of them said Boondock Saints on the front and had the prayer on the back. Okay. And I don't remember what the other one was. Uh, what happened to them? Oh, I definitely just threw both of them out eventually. You know, <laughs> once once I realized that maybe it was a um, morally questionable film. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I was gonna I was gonna ask uh, if you would throw them out because it was a morally questionable film, or if you just wore them out before you got to that realization. <laughs> Honestly, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah. Fair enough. <clears throat> so, um, you clearly really loved this movie. Oh yeah, we're making it a yearly tradition. Um, so I'm trying to think if do you remember why you really loved this movie? Like what about it was so appealing to you? Oh yeah, absolutely. There are a few major factors. I think the the most obvious one is just that it is endlessly quotable. Some of it is less quotable now because of reasons. <laughs> yeah, some of the some of the quotations don't age well. <laughs> but. The way that it is written, it is pretty much explicitly designed to have college dudes all, like, get together and quote it back and forth to each other for days. Right, yeah. Which is admittedly very sticky for me. (laughs) (laughs) Complicated, especially, and makes it particularly complicated to have added the extremely racist joke scene. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Like, to this day, I will still say, I'll have a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, I recognize but, that that's the possibly worst part of the movie. Well, but that's that and, scene yeah. is straight out of Tarantino, though. It that is that is straight. Like, that, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is definitely the worst example of where he's borrowing from Tarantino is that scene. Because he doesn't he's he's nowhere near the writer that Tarantino is for one thing. So it just doesn't work on its own as a scene. But his weird childish insistence on saying 
racial slurs out yeah. loud is uh <laughs> watching it i was just like oh look it's the part of pulp fiction where tarantino himself wanted to say the n-word a lot right. uh, <laughs> this role where he gets to say the n-word on screen 20 times for no reason yeah yeah, yeah. um I'll say the other reason it really, really stuck with me is that I think it was the third R-rated movie I had ever seen. Oh, mm. okay. So it felt like really edgy at the time, probably. Yeah, I think the first time I saw it, I was maybe 15 years old, and I saw it in a church kitchen on a pastor kid's laptop. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That does seem like the ideal viewing experience yeah. for this movie really like did you watch it with me first joel do you remember no it was one of the ones that jared and i watched together back when we were doing a movie together every night okay but uh all right do you remember why you really liked it yeah, well yeah i mean it was it was what in hindsight i now see as like all of the, it's like a combination of all of the like violent religion and toxic masculinity that seemed like really edgy and interesting to me at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also like, uh, it was, it was kind of like the, um, I remember thinking that it was kind of an interesting, uh, sort of counter to like the superhero movies that were becoming, which uh, this movie came out before that became a big thing. But at the time that I watched it, that was becoming a big thing. Uh, I was kind of interested in like the, the the vigilante hero thing in contrast to the you know Spider Man and stuff that were the biggest movies in the world now and then and still now um, <laughs> for the rest but, of our lives <laughs> yeah and and I you know I also I thought it was extremely funny at the time I mean I, I you know it was again having been raised very very sheltered and I, I I thought it was the funniest thing in the world that these guys just said fuck five times every sentence like it just seemed yeah. It just seemed hilarious to me. The scene with uh, with Rocco and his sentence where he basically just says the word fuck in like 30 different ways, I thought was just the most clever thing I'd ever seen at the time. And it but, might have been the most clever thing I'd ever seen at the time. I exactly. Don't know. That, now that says something, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's an episode of The Wire that makes the same joke way better. And it's, uh, you know, th th that's the thing with this movie. It's you can basically everything in the movie, you can point to like, here's a thing that did that thing better. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I also, this is one of the many downsides of raising your children. Um, extremely sheltered is like, there's this, uh -huh. is that like, then you see like really shitty stuff and you've never seen anything to fucking compare it to. <clears throat> and I mean, sometimes just like, like that makes me think, uh, so like, when I was when I was five, I watched Star Wars for the first time. I'm not calling Star Wars shitty, but but it is like predictable. I mean, you could, I could, but I, I still have fondness for the originals. But like, it you know, and I I have distinct memory of sitting on my aunt's couch in the basement and watching Star Wars and being really like like loving it and also being really tense because like I didn't know that Han was going to come back at the end. I didn't know that they were going to win. Because I was five, like, and I hadn't seen enough things to, like, understand plot mechanics. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. And I have no doubt that at five years old, Star Wars was, in fact, the coolest thing I had ever seen. <laughs> and that's fine, because I was five. <laughs> but when I was 20, and I was watching certain things that I thought were the coolest things I had ever seen. <sighs> Some of that is on other things. <laughs> I will say the 
first R-rated movie I ever watched was The Matrix, and it is still one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first R-rated movie I watched was Girl Interrupted. <laughs> wow, really? That, that was the first one? Yeah, because I, I don't know if you remember, Joel, but like I was going through a phase... No, I remember you had like taken a vow. Right, I had taken that a you vow. You were going to watch an R-rated movie. I remember. Yeah. I was trying to make my parents love me. It didn't work. Anyway, but um, yeah. <laughs> I wanted them to be impressed with me. Um, and uh, and but then I saw Angelina Jolie accept her Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, and they played a clip of her in the movie beforehand, and I was like, "Holy shit! <laughs> I have to watch her. <laughs> I have to do it." So, so, yeah, Girl Interrupted, first <laughs> rated movie I watched because of my adoration of Angelina Jolie. That part still holds. I'll, I'll say the second, the second R-rated movie I ever saw, I did not know was rated R when I saw it. What was it? And once again, it was because of a pastor's kid. <laughs> what, was what was that one? Pitch Black. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Right. Okay. Was it the same pastor's kid? No, different one. Different one, okay. Gotta watch out for those PKs. Um, What was your first story to movie, Joel? You know, I'm trying to remember, and I'm actually not sure. Uh, It might have been one that I watched with you, because you and I definitely, like, watched some stuff together after you got kicked out of the house that I wasn't allowed to watch at home. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's possible that I may have... There were a few, you know, once I got into my teens that dad decided were okay for us to watch. The Matrix would have definitely been an early one. Uh, I think we watched Air Force One at some point when I was But I thought you young. watched, like, fucking Saving Private Ryan or, like, one of the... No, see, that was, like, th- there was, there was like, a period where, like, all of our friends were watching Saving Private Ryan and dad was still holding the line on that kind of thing. I didn't see Saving Private Ryan until maybe ten years ago. Me neither. It was astonishingly boring. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm, Although we did watch Band of Brothers Dad at some point, which of course would have definitely been rated R if it had been a movie. But maybe that's what I was thinking of. Maybe. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. I know. Although I think he ended up regretting that one because that had a, a weird out of nowhere sex scene <laughs> that we did not know was coming. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Like when I when I got kicked out of the house and I was living on my own. I would have the boys over individually for sleepovers. I just had a studio, so individually was really the only option. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but sometimes I would have, I guess I had both of you over for the night, or like for the evening a few times. Anyway, and Jared was like 16 or, or he was 17 and Joel was like 15. And yeah. um, and we would watch, we would just rent shit and I would rent kind of whatever they wanted yeah. as long as it was something I wanted to watch. Um, and then Jared turned 18 and fucking ratted us out after he couldn't get in trouble anymore because he felt guilty. <laughs> and I, yeah. I got in trouble. Dad was like, we need, let's go for a walk, Beth. And I was like, the fuck? And we go for a walk. And he's like, so Jared says that you've been watching these. And I was like, really? He went... <laughs> I took that boy to fucking Ozfest for his 18th birthday. <laughs> and then he he told me that if it happened again, the boys wouldn't be allowed to come over. So then we had to call him when because they were allowed at that point. Joel was allowed to watch Aryan movies, but it had to be for violence or whatever. It couldn't be for boobs. Um, yeah, uh, great God. The the classic Christian standard. Yes. There, yeah. So I would have to call and be like, here is what you know whatever common sense media or whatever the fuck it was says, this is what's in this movie. Can we watch this movie? Um, and get permission. God, fuck parents. <laughs> God damn. In hindsight, it truly is ludicrous to think that 
Because, like, I would have been, like, 16 by this point. Yeah. How ridiculous is that? Like, in my head, that's like, yeah, that was when I was a kid. You know, I was, like, 12 or 13. But I was definitely older than that. Oh, yeah, you were definitely older than that. (laughs) I took you on. I let you drive my car. Yeah, I crashed into a post. You crashed into a post. Not hard, (laughs) fortunately. No, it was was just turning back into your driveway. But, yeah. I think it's really funny that, like, at 16, for some reason, I was still holding on to some weird, fucked up moral compass that wouldn't let me watch R-rated movies. Yes. Yeah, so but at the same time, I was also regularly viewing hardcore pornography. Oh, I wasn't. But that's not that's something you do in private. That's not. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I argue. I, I like had like a thing where, you know, friends would try to get me to watch stuff and I would be like, no. I'm not doing this because my mother once said that she has never watched an R-rated movie and not regretted it afterwards. And mm. I definitely always look to my mother for life advice. <laughs> that can't possibly be true. She used to watch all kinds of shit. Yeah, but that's why they stopped. Or at least that's what she claimed. Why they I mean, that may be, but there's no way she's not exaggerating that. I mean, of course, but I'm sure she believed it. Like, I'm sure she re- yeah. rewrote shit to, to make it true. Yeah. Um, anyway, we've we've traveled astray. I'm gonna have to try to be Jason on this podcast, and I'm not very good at that, so I'm gonna try. <laughs> so, do we want to talk a little bit about what the what the movie is or about? Well, hold on we have we haven't gotten into your reasons for why you liked it. Oh, um, yeah. What when I watched the opening scene, um, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I get it, and I get why we, why I wanted us to watch it in group, um. I think that it, <laughs> I think that at that time, when I think about it, this idea of like, you know, this priest in the opening sequence, they're like in the Catholic Church, the priest is doing like a message about right. how centered around the, the fucking urban legend of Kitty Genevieve. Yes, centered around the urban <laughs> legend of Kitty Genevieve, which I now know is a complete fucking lie and completely untrue. Yep. Um, yep. Um, on that note, everybody go listen to the episode of You Are Wrong About about Kitty Genovese, which is an incredible listen and shows that, yes, you are wrong about literally everything you know about that. There was a great documentary about it, too. There was a documentary about it that was done by her brother, I think. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. I, yeah, I super recommend watching the documentary because I believe it was done by her brother, and it's really powerful to... Um, Do you remember the name of it? I'm looking it up. It's uh, it's called The Witness. The Witness, that's right. Um, yeah. And it's really powerful to watch him find out that that story isn't true. Like, that he has spent his whole life thinking that his thinking that his sister died alone and nobody cared and nobody responded, but that isn't true. That isn't what happened. Um, it, it's a great documentary. Um, so yes, so the priest is giving this speech about, but the, the thing about Kitty Genevieve's right is that like that fits into the worldview that we were taught about oh, humanity yeah. being evil and all of these things. And when I saw, so there's, it's it's all very dramatic. The the boys like stand up with their fucking uh, rosaries and like go up and kiss the feet of Jesus. And did where you- is that scene supposed to fit into the timeline of this movie? I was trying to figure that out because. Oh, I just assumed it was at the beginning, but you're probably right. It probably isn't. Because it, it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't make sense. I'm not going to give the writing enough credit to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, and maybe, honestly, maybe that's the answer. Because 
it seems like they have like this special status at the church because they like go up front during the homily and someone jump like a guest preacher guy tries to jump up to stop him and one of the guys like no no you know he's whispering something in his ear like clearly these guys have some you know we let them do this and then they leave and he says something about how the the monsignor finally seems to be getting it in his call for you know good men to not be indifferent to the suffering of people or whatever. That's true. Which all of that seems like it's supposed to be later in the story, but it's just the two of them there. Their, their father isn't there, which seems like it doesn't happen after the end of the story. Right. I I don't know. I, <laughs> but like everyone in the church clearly knew who they were. So it was, I, I don't know. I couldn't figure out where it was supposed to fit in. Right. But so he gives this speech about good men standing back and doing nothing and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, this this is the thing. I mean, the rest of the, the movie is garbage, to be clear. Um, but this is like a huge part of what I, I think I would have responded to at the time, because I think that especially like when I was in my early 20s or whatever, I was so fucking frustrated that there were. And I, I think, Joel, I think you and I have talked about this. I was so frustrated. There was all of these things that we had been being taught. But like in practice, it it didn't mean anything. No one did anything about anything. Everyone was just like in this like insular situation saying, "Ah, oh, yes, the world is dying. But like we're not doing shit. Like, <laughs> and, you know, the concept of a of a vengeful God or whatever was certainly within what we had been taught. Um, and so while I don't know that I necessarily would have thought that the answer was to like go out and murder a bunch of people, um, like that as a concept that was being brought up as like a reasonable follow through of the faith that we had been taught, I think was probably interesting to me. And also, mm-hmm. I think that I had a lot of interesting feelings about Willem Dafoe and his role, which we can probably <laughs> talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll talk about Willem Dafoe, that's for sure. <laughs> But I think I think that was why I think that was why I, I think that was why I liked it. And I think that was why um, I wanted us to watch it for group. And I mean, that was almost certainly the last time I watched it. So like 12 years ago. This, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, see, I I had seen it. This was I used to own this movie because it was like one of my favorites. And then at some point, maybe like it was shortly after I moved back to Bellingham and I had a lot of time on my hands. I started watching through all of my my DVDs. And I ended up getting rid of a few because I didn't like them anymore. And this was one of them. <laughs> so I no longer own it. <laughs> See, if I watched through all the DVDs that I have, I would be forced to watch through bullshit like, um, fuck, what's it called? That stupid fucking movie that all the Christians liked. That doesn't narrow it down enough. <laughs> I know. Give me other information. Who's in it? It was one of those made by that church that was making all those... Oh, was fairly high budget? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Edit this out. But why do you still own it? (laughs) I don't know. Just because I can't get rid of stuff. Yeah. Your house isn't that big, (laughs) Adam. Oh no! I know! I know! Also, I do still own the Boondock Saints and the Boondock and the Boondock Saints to All Saints Day on Blu-ray. Yeah, see, I watched the second one once after it came out, and at that point, I was still really into the first one, mm-hmm. but uh, I did not it care for the second one. And I was excited because it had Darla in it from Buffy. Oh, yeah, uh, I forgot about that. Then it was bad, and I hated it, and never watched it again. <laughs> it was, the second I mean, one was literally as good as it could have been. I which... mean, that's possible, but... <laughs> Okay, so 
In terms of the movie, <laughs> I'm trying to. Jason, be proud of me. <laughs> okay. In terms of the movie, so as we say, it opens with this scene in a church. The father is giving a bullshit sermon about Katie Genovese and how, you know, people like the greatest evil in the world is when people do nothing. The um, indifference of good men. The indifference yeah. of good men, which I still th- like. I think that's often true. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah and it, it's simply what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, nope. And. Uh, <laughs> 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 this is my general reaction to some of those jokes. I'm just not gonna, not gonna do it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so. Well, one thing that I appreciated that was like a very 90s action movie kind of touch is that uh, is d- the degree to which they were telegraphing, like, you're supposed to think these guys are cool. <laughs> <laughs> they both wear like, you know, they, they dress the same. They wear like the black trench coats. They both smoke. <laughs> the first thing they do when they walk out of the church is light a cigarette, which is such a 90s thing. Is, and it's it's what it is one of those things that every time I see that on screen now you see the good guy smoking and it's not a black and white movie it's like Jesus this is a weirdly dated thing. <laughs> the worst part about cigarettes is that they do look cool Joel I wish they did I, I, they I agree with you but you still you just don't see it on the screen anymore the way you that's, you used to that's true yeah um so yeah so they they go up they kiss the feet of jesus they do their thing and they march dramatically in like semi-slow motion out of the church with everyone looking at them and then they go outside the church and immediately light a cigarette and they're like ah the father has hit on something this time finally getting it finally getting it um and then I think we go to them in a meatpacking plant. Is that right? Yeah, you get this, you get this the opening credit sequence that's intercut with scenes of them at their job, which is it's very strange. I'm pretty sure that what happened there was that they shot all of this stuff with the meatpacking plant as introductory material and decided that it didn't fit into the story at all. <laughs> but they they thought it was so funny having them pick on the lesbian woman that they wanted to include it, so they cut it into the credits. Yeah, it was very strange. It was very much like the vibe of, oh, yeah, here's a quick character summary of who these people are. Right. They're they're bullies. They're assholes and bullies. Yeah. Like, that's that's who they are. Like, they, I mean, well, also, I'll say that there was value in that scene in that just like seeing them at the meatpacking plant slapping other people with giant hunks of meat like. That really does establish the characters really fast. I mean, that's yeah. true. That's true. But I don't think it's establishing what he thinks it's establishing. <laughs> right. It's supposed to be establishing how lovable they are. Yeah. <laughs> I, quoted, I quoted that fucking rule of wrist thing for years. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely remember yeah, that there is there is a whole. I don't know why the fuck you're. If anyone has not seen the movie, in the beginning they they bring in this woman who's clearly coded to be queer. She's a large woman. Um, well, she she literally has she has a neck tattoo that says "Untouched by Men." Oh, yeah. She has a neck tattoo that says it goes beyond being coded. And one of the one of the dudes. Says, says like, okay, so the rule of thumb around here, and she's like, rule of thumb, and she gets super pissed off and is like, you know, back in olden times, in early 1900s or whatever, um, yeah. it was legal for, for men to beat their wives as long as they didn't use anything that was larger than a thumb. And, right, and we're clearly supposed to be thinking like, 
Oh, what an annoying SJW. Yeah, this this humorless yeah. woman. <laughs> and the dude is uh, the dude is like uh, like holds up his thumb and it's like well you couldn't really do much damage with that it probably should have been rule of wrist right um, yeah. which I I know I I did think was funny when I was twenty oh yeah I did too now I'm just I, like I, I know those, still think it's funny I know those guys and yeah. now I found it very I mean like I find it very very cathartic when she kicks him incredibly hard in the nuts like I was just like <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the the other thing about this is that it as the movie plays out it that scene almost becomes worse and worse because she is almost the only female character in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's like three women that speak on screen in the whole movie and one of them is like a newscaster. And the dead stripper. Um, now are are you counting Willem Dafoe in that? Um when he I'm goes not. to the house later uh, on. Which, I, I I am not. Although maybe we we should get into that at some point too. But uh, I was I think the other one I was thinking of was Rocco's girlfriend, uh, who is not exactly a great portrayal either. And her friend. Um, oh, I guess her friend does speak. Yeah. But it's it's like most there you know there there are, there are like a whole kind of subgenre of movies that people talk about of like it's not really a subgenre but it's a category that people talk about of movies that are all men and there are several of them. Mm-hmm. And several of them are great. There's some there's some really great ones. But usually there's like a reason. There's a plot specific reason why it's only men. Right. And there is not in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like they're just, like, uh, they're my just dinner with women. Andre. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. I mean, right. and, like know. Master and Commander is one of is one that Joe really likes. Right. I know. Twelve Angry Men and the Thing are are both among those that are that are talked about in that. Which Twelve Angry Men women didn't serve on juries at the time. And the thing, it was all, you know, well, by the time the thing came out, I guess maybe it was unrealistic that there weren't any women at McMurdo, but <laughs> still, it's... Uh... It was a closed-off group, though. And Master and Commander, of right, course, exactly. they couldn't have any women on the ship, so there were just no women there. They're not in the middle of a busy city. and <laughs> Right. No, it yeah. becomes, yeah. And not only are there virtually no women who speak, but, like, you know, the, the like, they when they are there, when they are on screen, they are, like, I mean, the the guys getting killed while they're looking at strippers like the the, the women are just are accessories at best like they are <laughs> like sexualized accessories at best yeah and so sort yeah, of like yeah. set dressing for the murder uh, <laughs> yeah no that's exactly what it is <laughs> but whatever they have all this bullshit and then they they come home and they both get undressed together and I mean, they look right. They prepare to go to bed in their jeans in the middle of the day for some reason. They're very, very attractive. I, they <laughs> they still are very attractive. They were less they attractive are, by the second movie, but in the first one, they were very yeah. hot. They're very charismatic, so that you do get some mileage in the movie out of them together. But I interject, Joel, because you commented that they go to bed in the middle of the day wearing jeans, and that didn't strike me as odd at all because that was literally my life. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm not actually sure that they were going to bed. I think they might, they had just gotten off work and maybe they were preparing to shower or something. But it, it seemed very odd to me at the time. <laughs> so I, so I whatever. Just sleeping in jeans. That sounds like a nightmare. But... Do they have the dream <clears throat> that night? I'm trying to remember. No, that's not that's not till after they get arrested or not get arrested, but turn themselves in. The the, the whole thing with the right. the bar plays out for. Right. There's the whole thing with the bar. They go to the bar. They get in a fight with some Russians who are shutting down the bar. Um, 
Russian. And this comes to my first major. About the Russian and the yeah. This comes to my first major technical goof in the movie. Okay. Okay. There is a line where one of the brothers is speaking in Russian to the Russians. Uh-huh. And he gets punched in the face real hard. And yet the line continues to be spoken perfectly <laughs> clearly for about a second and a half after he gets punched. Nice. <laughs> well, we have the the way this we have the way this scene plays out is we get the first example of the way that this movie handles every single action sequence where we get all of the stuff leading up to the first bit of violence and then it cuts to the aftermath and then it cuts back and we see how the fight actually played out. But we don't actually see any of that yet. First, I right, like exactly. The, the broken timeline thing is, I, I, I don't mind it, but it bothered me a bit that he did it with every single, <laughs> like every time. But uh, but first we get the introduction of, of Willem Dafoe as a, a violently homophobic gay FBI agent. Uh, which is an odd choice. But I thought it was hilarious and brilliant at the time when I first saw it. Okay, and see, this is the thing. He is he is, he is violently homophobic. He is... We get to, you know, call men F-words and all and, sorts of and things. Not, not not like closeted gay, to be clear. Like no. flamboyantly gay and also violently homophobic. Yeah. Which, I mean, I would say that that character arc more or less... I mean, you're in a you're in a role where that might be your only option to be either like... Which is not an excuse. It's just I, I I could see that happening. But like, um, but I was ta- like I was talking to one of my friends about this while I was watching it, and I was just like, I really think that I was really fascinated by this portrayal because it wasn't like a portrayal of a gay person I'd ever seen. Yeah. And <laughs> so I I think the bar was so low. <laughs> Like, like at that point, like, it's still any anything that seemed like a different look at a queer person was at least interesting to me. And also, do you one better there, which is that I think that might have been the first time I ever saw queer representation on the screen. Well, yeah, I guess if it was your first well, it depends on how you interpret the Matrix, I guess. <laughs> oh, no. The Matrix at the time, I was interpreting that as a messianic analogy. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, for sure. That would have been the, the angle at the time, yeah. See, I... Okay. Like, my parents were very... Um, I tried very hard with, with media stuff for a while until they didn't, which is true with a lot of things with my parents, um, who were never great at being consistent. Uh, and so by the time I was 16 or 17, they were just like exhausted of me. I mean, I think it happened before that, but like they, they, and so like by the time I was like 17, particularly when I started watching Ari movies and stuff, they really made no attempt whatsoever to like police my, my media intake as long as like sometimes if it was at their house, but if I was somewhere else and, um, and that is not true for all evangelicals. That's true for me. And I had a lot of fucking queer friends um, and so like, I suspect that I, I suspect that I had seen multiple things that were coded gay or whatever. I know that, but like one of the first movies that I remember watching was, was Hedvig and the Angry Inch. So like I had, you know, like I had seen like, I had seen like trans representation, 
And, you know, and, and that was like my first understanding of transness was watching Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which isn't like the worst understanding. It's not the best, but it's not the worst. Um, I was obsessed with Ani DeFranco. My abusive piece of shit boyfriend bought me an Ani DeFranco CD and I was like obsessed with it. And I would listen to her all of the time in the house. And like my parents didn't like it, but they didn't try to stop me. So I had like a I think I had a wider like a wider view of queerness, but there just wasn't that much. Like, so wait, where, where did you find queer friends as a kid? Well, I mean, I don't know that we all that most of us said we were queer at the time. <laughs> it just turned out later. By the time I was 17, it was that I had been my mom had realized she had no plan. Um, and that maybe it would be important soon for my schooling. So she sent me to community college because we have like the running start huh. program where you can do like the the you can be in high school and do like free community college. Um, so she sent me to community college, which was challenging because I had never written a paper or really done anything academic. But what I was good at and what I'm still good at <laughs> is making friends. <laughs> so me and my best friend, who I was head over heels for, um, were were going there together. And we made a group of friends, none of whom were Christian, most of whom were queer in one way or another. Um and, you know, I mean, that was uh, realistically speaking, if I hadn't made friends with those people, I don't know if Amanda and I ever would have like hooked up, which we did several times. But like we had, you know, everyone around us was queer in some way and it, it was very normalized in that setting. And I think it allowed us to talk about it. So I, I so, yeah, I had this group of people. I, I still know a few of them um, that I was. But even the people I was friends with before that, I would say solidly 90 percent of those people came out as some form of queer. By the time we were it's very different, very different from my community college experience, which was spent trying to convince my non-Christian friends to go to church with me. Oh, don't get me wrong. I argued like I don't know how people put up with me. I I, re- I assume I must have somehow been very charismatic, but like like I definitely argued with people about you know whether or not being gay was okay about like about abortion, about, you know, various things. I, I had those conversations, but I was like a really broken kid who was like fucking cutting myself all the time. And, you know, we were all just kind of sad and messed up kids. And I don't think I ever tried to convince anyone to go to church with me. I was bad at trying to com- convert people. <laughs> like in, in when I was in community college, I had a friend who I was like desperately, desperately in love with. And... <laughs> Uh, at one point, she asked me if I thought that she was going to hell, and I said yes. And we never talked again. Ooh. <laughs> See, I told multiple people if they asked me that that I did think that, but no one ever stopped talking to me. I don't know why. <laughs> like, like to be clear, Alice, I do think that your baseline charm is a lot higher than mine. <laughs> charming i don't know i uh, allison and i were friends allison who is my best friend hi allison um allison who has been like my platonic soulmate since we met we met when i was like i mean we started talking when i was like 22 and we started talking because i wasn't really into mars hill at the time and allison had a sick fascination with like a lot of christian stuff um and like we started talking, but Al had been had been an atheist since they were like six. Like they oh. they, 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 they didn't allowed? leave. What is that allowed? I, I, um, <laughs> they were very young, <laughs> <laughs> and so so we uh, you know we would have these conversations. Oh my gosh, Didi, shush. 
Um, we would have these conversations and we would get into things. And I, I do think that, like, I think Allison and most people I know would have much lower tolerance for this now than we did 15 years ago. But, like, we would get – and only, like, one time we got into a conversation. I think it was – I would remember. We've talked about it before. But I think it was about gayness or something. And I, I said something shitty, I'm sure. And I was so frustrated that they just like closed the computer and went to take a shower. <laughs> I didn't come back for like 15 minutes. But for the most part, I was consistently friends almost exclusively with people who didn't believe the things that I believed because the people who did believe the things that I believed didn't like me. Um, yeah. and they, you know, they thought I was wrong, but I think I would suspect that if I asked some of them now, they would say it really seemed like you were going to figure it out. You weren't there yet, but like you were always thinking about things. You were always trying to figure things out. And I think, you know, yes, you were saying the shitty stuff, but I never like reveled in saying shitty stuff. I didn't like doing it. And I mm. and I, I suspect that contributed. But I don't know. I don't know how anyone fucking put up with me in my like late teens. Or late 20s. Oh, yeah. No, I can't think too much about my like high school experience without immediately curling up, curling up into a ball and wanting to die. <laughs> Joel and Jerry just hung out with the, with each other and like I was going to say I didn't I didn't have friends during that period, so it wasn't an issue. That's Yeah. Honestly, almost better. <laughs> I mean, that is that is possible. Yeah, that might have uh, I drag you around played. my yeah. friends a lot. That's true. That is true. <laughs> anyway. Not quite the same, but... So I think that Willem Dafoe... Like, I think that there was a period of time where I was just... Where anything that seemed different... Like, this is very offensive, but it is offensive in a different way than I had seen before. <laughs> and Willem Dafoe is so... I mean, he's fucking great, and he's just, like, chewing scenery like no one's goddamn right. business. I mean, he's... he's, he's He's like the he's like this sort of like sitcom style offensive portrayal of a gay man in his mannerisms, but he's also like super competent and he's the one who who is you know is actually figuring things out and getting the job done yes. and stuff. Which I guess God, is... that that scene where he puts in the headphones and just listens to opera while <laughs> dancing down the alleyway, holy fucking shit what a revelation I, it's, it's yeah. still great it's still i mean it, it's great because of him not because of the scene but it's great because of right. him yeah yeah i mean that yeah that, all that stuff watching that at you know at 18 that was i had definitely never seen anything like that uh watching it on uh, this rewatch i still got chills <laughs> although i did kind of laugh a little bit when he pulled out his disc man <laughs> yeah the, the music <laughs> I'm looking back to see, but I suspect this was this may not have been the first time I had ever seen Willem Dafoe, but it was definitely the first time that he had ever stood out to me. Uh, would this have been before the first Spider-Man movie? Yeah. Yes. Well, but it may not. Yeah, I may have seen Spider-Man first. Uh, well, yeah, I guess that's true. I might have seen Spider-Man first. I may have seen Spider-Man first. I probably did, but but it was like within that. It was within that range, and it was, it was yeah. something. I mean, like later, I was obsessed with him, and like. In many, many things. Um. <laughs> oh, 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 no. I, I, I'm sure we want to save this for later in the podcast, but I just saw what you two rated this on Letterboxd. <laughs> I rated it on Letterboxd, and it's... Uh, it's different? <laughs> there's it's a different? disparity here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I noticed I noticed your uh, your updated rating on there. <laughs> it's quite different, yeah. Uh, up in my ratings with this. Wow. Oh, really? Okay, okay. We're going to talk about it. 
talk about that in a second. I just want to say very quickly, re Willem Dafoe, um, that I still, having now watched it a couple of times, I still think that The Last Temptation of Christ may be my favorite Willem Dafoe performance. And if anyone has not watched The Last Temptation of Christ, you should go watch it because it's a fucking great movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. good. It, so it's, fucking good. It's, a, it's an amazing movie. Yeah. Have you watched it, Em? I have, actually. Okay. You didn't like it? it? Or not. I didn't like it the first time, but I got very into it the second time. I found it quite boring. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think that's okay. I mean, it's fun. Yeah, you don't okay. have to like it, but I, I love it. It's, I'll it's be probably honest. my favorite Scorsese, which is saying something for me. It's but there. It is definitely I, a not-for-everyone kind of movie. The only Scorsese I've ever truly loved... I think there are only two Scorsese films I've ever truly loved. Um, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. No, I like. Yeah. The I like. I like the Wolf of Wall Street. I, I'm, oh, okay. Yeah, no, totally I like fine it. with. <laughs> and the George Harrison doc. I haven't watched. Okay, I have. I have yet to. I think I've watched all of his features except for that Kundun movie, which is impossible to find. Uh, but I have yet to watch any of his documentary work. Same. I should probably so the get George on that. Harrison doc is obscenely, like, inhumanly long, but it's very right. Good. Yeah, his. I think his movie, his music documentaries are mostly like three plus hours. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. What I'm learning from this conversation is that I may ne- I may never watch a Scorsese music documentary, and that's fine. That's too many hours. Uh, <laughs> I don't care enough about music for that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> anyway, that is that is far afield here. It is. Mark. It is far afield. Good job. Good, good Jason moment. Good job. Okay. Um. So, so they. There's a whole thing where, like, a guy is dead in an alley and Willem Dafoe comes and just, like, figures out what happened incredibly. Even though it's this insane scenario, he figures out exactly what happened by looking at the, yeah. What happened is that the Russians showed back up. They handcuffed, I don't remember their names. They handcuffed the blonde one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What are their names? Connor and, it's Connor. Connor and and Murphy. Connor and Murphy. Murphy. (laughs) Connor. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so they handcuffed. See, incidentally, oh god. Uh, re- real quick here, I-, I know that that Irish people and Italian people and Russian people are all, are all white, but I'm reasonably sure that the level of stereotyping going on in this movie still somehow counts as racist. <laughs> oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's real bad. <laughs> um. So so they they handcuff Connor to the toilet in the like room that they're in um like they, the loft yeah weird, yeah I mean, it's not an apartment it's, no, it's just like a it's like a it's like a cell it's a big, it's like a big cell that, yeah it's like a big industrial kind of space with a toilet in one corner and like a couple shower heads on one wall and mattresses on the floor that's right. where they live so they, for, some for some reason so they they do this he, they handcuff him they say they're going to kill his brother and then we get a prolonged sequence of him pulling the toilet up off the floor which i did not enjoy watching because the handcuffs are digging into his wrists and bleeding and it was very unpleasant <laughs> This, this, like is, that. this is another I have a complaint about this, though, because the, the whole thing was that he was going to kill his brother to like as like, a you know, I'm doing this to get back at you because he's the one who lit his ass on fire. Like that was when they yeah, lost so the bar fight to them. He literally tied him to the bar and poured booze on his ass and lit it on fire. So he's understandably upset. Which what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for some reason, they decide even though they're on the fifth floor of the building, they take the brother down to the ground floor they and do. take him out into the alley to shoot him. Yes. For some reason. For some reason. Even though then the guy can't see it 
and then they're in a public place where other people could theoretically see it instead of just the only reason to do that is so that the whole thing with the cops finding the, the weird crime scene in the alley can happen. <laughs> There's no other reason for them to do it that way. <laughs> it's true. Um, anyway. So, yeah, anyway. so they take him downstairs. Uh, Connor freaks out, manages to single-handedly pull it, not only pull a toilet off the floor using his handcuffs hands, but then run up more flights of stairs to the roof of the building. And they conveniently position themselves right underneath the fire, the fire escape. escape. Yeah. He drops the toilet and then jumps like seven fucking stories. Yeah, just very reasonable jumps thing to do. And yeah. la- catches his fall on one of the other guys, as if that would somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you have to have something to support a uh, serial crusher theory. Right, the serial crusher theory. Yeah. <sighs> and then they kill them. <laughs> For a and- big fucking guy (laughs) (laughs) he killed them and then they go to the hospital because he did just jump seven stories and he's like a little banged up um and then yeah and so then they're looking at and somebody's like it might we might have a serial crusher on our hands or something (laughs) anyway willem dafoe listens to opera understands somehow intuitively i mean i think what i think what i take from it is that willem dafoe is magic like actually like magic <laughs> um, and tells them to look for, you know, whatever slugs from this type of gun. But they show up at the police station and they, they fess up. Like they come to the police station or like, this is what happened. It was self-defense, whatever. And they, they let them go. Um, right. They, there's a lot of like, uh, these guys are immediately the hero of all of the cops. Which is probably a little mm-hmm. too realistic well, in an yeah. uncomfortable way, but it's not supposed to be uncomfortable in the movie. No. <laughs> oh. So then they go home to bed, and that night they both wake up being like pulled upward by the chest with water dripping on them, quoting yeah, their they, prayer. They, they have a they have a shared a shared Jesus wet dream, <laughs> telling them to destroy evil or something. I don't. It's weird. There's no like. There's no theology in this movie. There's no like. It, it, like there's no like there isn't even like a voice that speaks to them right they say the lines they say the lines yeah so it's it's literally all coming from them <laughs> there's no there's no talk about like the nature of a god that is has somehow put this mission on them or anything it's uh, it's kind of odd but. so then they decide they're gonna go out and kill a bunch of people and they do. I mean that's simple, yeah. but right because they 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 get their first the, the one of the Russian guys had a pager on him and they get it gets a page and they call the number back and it is giving them instructions for when some Russian mob boss is going to be in town and so they decide they're going to go kill him. Well, this is one of those things I think resonates with a lot of people across demographics is the idea of well fucking something needs to be done so right. I guess you know. It's better than nothing, maybe. What I yeah. was surprised by rewatching this, though, was that I think in my head, and again, it had been you know over a decade since I had seen this, but I think in my head I remembered them as having more of a code, and there really is no code. Like there really no. is no like they just kind of they they let their fucking piece of shit friend who we're supposed to be charmed by, they just let yeah. him be like this is it who works for the Italian mob or whatever Rocco. They're just like this this is a bad guy, so we have to go kill him, and they're like, well, all right. And they just, 
they even they even admit as much. Yeah. Like, we don't really have a system for it. These guys just kind of fell into our lap. We don't know how we're going to do it from here. In fact, there's there's a scene after they have first kind of explained what they're doing to Rocco after they do this first hit of the mob boss. Mm-hmm. He he has a moment where he's like, so you're just killing people who you decide are bad guys. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, isn't that kind of psycho? <laughs> and they're like, no. And not only is it not psycho, but everyone agrees with us, including you. And that's the end of discussion. <laughs> like, that's the whole, that is the extent to which the movie deals with that issue. <laughs> God, I would fucking kill for that confidence, you know? <laughs> also, this is this may be like an obvious thing that everyone else knew, but I don't remember ever noticing before that the character of David Delarocco is played by a man named David Delarocco. Oh. Uh, no, I don't. Who, <laughs> he, he, I guess, was a comedian who was friends with the writer-director, and he wrote the role specifically for him. Um, but yeah, weird. So a really great weird. guy, so, then. Is what we're taking yeah. from, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. like, he based the character on his, like, onstage mannerisms and stuff, apparently. Um, which, yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing well that his... Rocco the person. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, whatever. They kill a bunch of Russian mobsters in a scene that, again, is so much better done in so many other things, but they, like, drop out of the ceiling and accidentally get caught up on some rope and then just spin around and shoot everybody. Yeah, and it's funny because they're like Defoe's character specifically talks about how like they got eight men with eight shots. Like these guys are obviously they know what they're doing. There's no explanation for how these guys are such good shots. There's no explanation really for why they speak every language known to man. Their mother insisted on it. (laughs) That's not an explanation. I mean, I could see a scenario where, like, you know, they, for some reason, their mother happened to know a lot of languages and taught them a lot of languages when they were young or whatever. But it is kind of a weird, yeah, they just have this weird, like, grab bag of talents that assist them in their... uh, they're venging. Okay, I've decided what I need. I need Sam Mendes to make a prequel film about their mother. <laughs> wow. I'd watch that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Actually, well, no, let's hold off on that, because eventually their dad shows up, and I have questions. Yeah, we need that, to, like, pick but... up the pace. Again, I'm Jay sitting here, but we have yeah. been, like, at this for over an hour. Um, yeah, I, I concluded that this is my fault. <laughs> <laughs> It's not your fault. I don't know. It isn't we, we definitely do this sometimes. We when do. It's, uh, I mean, to be fair, we've only been, like, the call's been going over an hour, yeah. but it took us, like, 20 minutes to get into the movie, yeah. so. And it'll edit down to yeah. two hours or 90 minutes. But nonetheless, I just want to make sure that we are moving along. So whatever, they kill all the Russian guys. Defoe, again, is like, I don't think he figures out exactly what happened. Occasionally, and I do think that, I hate to give Troy Duffy any credit, but, like, I do think that, in making the Defoe character, it is sort of interesting how, like, sometimes he's wrong and the dumb guys are right. Um, yeah, he just he thinks he's so. But smart. they're always right because they guess the right. But they're they're right because they guess the absurdly improbable thing, and it happens to be true. It's well, not because they think, actually. But like I, think, I hate production. to like again. I don't feel like any of these characters actually have arcs as such. But I think yeah. the Defoe's like end conclusion about them comes from that i think that's supposed to be what's happening is that like all of these things that are virtually impossible that he's like okay and eventually he's like and you know and also his own inner feelings that like someone should be doing something and maybe that something is murdering a lot of people um like 
that some of that, that I don't know that he has a spiritual experience exactly, but he has some kind of like revelation that I think comes from, I'm so smart, but it's always, it, but the dumb guys figured shit out because it was so, it was so improbable that this would happen. And therefore they must be, um, they must be being supported by something or something bigger. Or whatever. Mm. That, that was my read on it. I may be giving it too much credit. I don't know. I, I was struggling a little bit watching through this with like, so he had met these two guys. And they came in to turn themselves in after killing the first. He was extremely mobsters. charmed with them. Right. And somehow it never, it, it doesn't seem to, he never, never even occurs to him to like, Oh, more dead mobsters. Maybe it's those two guys that I met. <laughs> He, like he never he never puts it doesn't seem he never even considers that idea, which seems very odd to me. Uh, it, it seems like that he, he he's the one who keeps he's like, oh, that other killing that you cops said was unrelated. It's dead mobsters. Of course, it's related. You guys are idiots. But he doesn't connect the, the dead mobster killings that he knows who did it with the I don't know. It was very strange to me. <laughs> It was a consistent problem for me. He keeps playing through this whole thing. And he's like, I can't figure out who it could possibly be. And they're so smart. They're not leaving any clues behind. <laughs> Which also seems wildly improbable, but whatever. That, yeah. That's uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel like that actually lines up with a lot of police work, which is you get emotionally invested in people and believe the best of them. And then you just don't do your fucking job. I mean, that might be that might be like a more realistic portrayal, but I, I don't give I definitely don't give Troy Duffy enough credit to oh no no to be doing it on that level. I, <laughs> I just might the, give both credit. Uh, that's fair, I guess. Yeah, he might be he might have something going on a layer on his performance that's not in the in the script. But I think he had several layers. Well, in his and the script. I think yeah. that it is very easy to assume that Willem Dafoe, if he wanted to change the script was allowed to that's possible yeah he was de- i mean yeah, i'm sure he was the he was the big get for the movie i'm sure he's the only reason the movie got financed yeah yeah no, no that's true okay um so whatever they murder the russians and then rocco shows up and they're like we've got to fuck with him and then they make him think they're gonna murder him which is that was a funny, funny prank. A funny, yep. funny prank. It's good times. I, I actually still enjoy that scene. Uh, <laughs> there's just such fucking guys. bullies. Laugh him to death, funny man. <laughs> There's just such <laughs> fucking bullies. Um, yeah. And, God, I love that. <laughs> and uh, whatever. And then Rocco's like, I know so many people who should be killed. And then also they point out to Rocco that he was definitely being sent in there to be killed and that the only reason he isn't killed is because they this improbable thing happened and then he Right. Didn't. They sent him in with a they sent him in with a, a six shot gun and there were eight guys in there or nine guys. Yeah. So Yeah. So he's pretty upset about that. Uh, <laughs> and right. uh, I don't know, then they go kill other people. Well Rocco goes and kills a bunch of guys. That's his uh, his initiation, and also a cat, which uh, yeah, a cat. Again, I thought that was so funny. Same when I first saw it. Yeah, and I did. I did still laugh at his "Is it dead?" delivery. <laughs> yeah, that I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was like the one genuine laugh that I still got out of the movie, honestly. But but again, all all that is is that's that's just the joke from Pulp Fiction where he shoots the guy in the back of the car by accident. Yeah. It's the same joke. It is. Except um in this joke, the cat belongs to his girlfriend and so then he right. gets to Who, scream at her and threaten her with a gun yeah. So Yeah. Which that's fun. That's a fun thing for yeah. someone to well, do. Can't walk, 
two two blocks without running into a dozen guys who fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, honestly, I was after you get to about this point in the movie, I would say that about ninety percent of the dialogue is delivered at like full scream volume <laughs> for no reason. But like these guys never speak to each other in normal tones of voice. They just always yell at each other the whole rest of the movie. Almost every line between like the cops still speak in normal voices, but with the three of them, it's just constant screaming the whole time. It honestly seems strange. like like it would have made more sense to me if we had just seen them being constantly high on coke for the whole movie, because yeah, that's that, what it that, felt like. Yeah, but that would we would have lost the you know they're supposed to be the good guys, so they can't be doing that. Now, Joel, yeah. I don't know if you've ever taken a film class, but like it's film one hundred and one that once you escalate. In the movie, you have to keep the light. <laughs> right, you have to keep that level always climbing. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so, so whatever. And then, yeah, Rocco goes and finds out at the like a bar or some or a diner that yeah, everybody sent him in there to die, but he's still alive or whatever. And then he just like freaks out and does a murder spree, just like a mass murder shooting. And then comes out crying about how he's an idiot, which, like, he definitely is. And they're just like, it's okay, man. It's okay. And I'm like, is it okay? Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. He just, like, murdered a bunch of people, including, like, the bartender or the guy or whatever. Who, Like, yes, obviously he was involved with the mob. But, like, I don't. I, do we get to assume that, that we just assume that all, that all of those dudes deserve to be, like, murder sprayed i i don't know i don't yeah, know what that means did, did they yeah did they deserve did they just like these other like low-level mafia guys did they deserve it more than he did who had been working for the mafia since he was 12 <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. they never really bring up that hey. possibility like all the shady shit that this dude has no doubt done in his decades working for the the italians but do you think this just okay okay i'm gonna explain my thought process here which isn't a great thought process but i'm gonna explain why i'm gonna say this thing randomly um is that i went from being like rocco has definitely sexually assaulted women um mm -hmm. as luell's other ways assaulted women for sure <laughs> um and then i was like i wonder if the brothers have sexually assaulted women and then i was and i was like probably and then i was like do you think that when they like go out to a club or whatever they each get a girl and then they fuck her in their beds next to each other like oh them. definitely like they just like they just have no, like instinct sex yeah <laughs> that's i mean that's the only possible excuse for the layout of their home i think <laughs> they planned for that when they moved in together that was the the important thing with siblings is that you aren't allowed to have boundaries <laughs> That is the most critical. That is the most critical thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So whatever. Rocco does that. And then Rocco's like, hey, this dude is that. What's the name of the of the strip? Ron Jeremy. Oh, I thought you were asking. Yeah. Fucking Ron Jeremy playing the the uh, Italian underboss, which is not particularly. Oh, right. Well, good casting. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they just thought it was funny to cast Ron Jeremy in their movie, but he's just kind of a gross presence. That's what uh, in his life, really. I guess that's what he's supposed to be, but yeah, right. Because yeah. there was the whole thing where Rocco gets pulled into the mob boss's office, and this was before, though. That's right. when they sent him out, right? He's and that's well, when yeah. he's and a racist joke no. happens. That having Ron Jeremy officially makes the movie edgy. 
Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they thought it was a brilliant, a brilliant bit of casting. But. When in doubt with this movie, when trying to figure out why they did something, always go back to, but is it edgy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. Unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, there's that. There's that you, really you like Troy Duffy is an incel. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I think there's a me. decent possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't. <laughs> I have either of that. you watched the documentary about how he like blew up his career after this? I haven't. No, no. I, I know that he, he. I mean, this movie was a whole. There was a whole thing. It got like it barely got released because of something that happened around. Like I, I don't remember what it was. If there was like a big shooting or something that happened, was it? Would it have been? Uh, it was ninety nine. So um, it could have been Columbine. Is Columbine. Columbine. Yeah, 99? it might have been Columbine. They had. I think they had a distributor dump it right before it was supposed to be released. And so it barely got released. And then it was a big hit on video. So there was a big fight about who got, who was supposed to get paid for it. And he, and he, yeah, I think he, yeah, uh, the, the, Columbine he the only other director's credit that he has is the second boondocks right. movie. Like he's never done anything else. Right. And apparently he was, I, my understanding is that he was just kind of an asshole, but um, anyway, he, he became yeah. extremely abusive. The movie, the documentary is called overnight. I haven't seen it, but um, basically, uh, he apparently like it's supposedly about him like sort of burning like like being a white dude who somehow burned all of the goodwill that he did have from this like cult success and yes uh columbine was uh, april I mean, this... 20th of 1999 so i'm sure that's what it was okay i mean this this movie yeah the fact that he's he was uh, such an asshole that he managed to ruin his career after having the kind of like blind luck lightning in a bottle success that this movie had like this, i mean this is not like hundred million dollar earner or anything like that, but the kind of success that it had is almost better, right? <laughs> yeah. In terms of in terms of launching a career, mm-hmm. and yet he still managed. He had, I think he had to crowdfund the second. He did. Boondock Saints, if I recall correctly, and his letterbox does have a page for a third Boondock Saints movie. I don't know if you noticed that, uh, <laughs> but that is his only other uh, his only other credit on there. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. Imagine uh, how much you would have to pay Norman Reedus at this point to him to do anything besides walking. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Norman Reedus likes him. Maybe they get along. I was. I think it's weird that he did the second one, let alone a third one. So I don't know. <laughs> I know that Norman Reedus is like the Walking Dead character that everyone has a hard on for, but well, I think he's the only remaining original character at this point, isn't he? Right, but I don't like, know. I, Mona and Cassie I watched, were watching. Know, we're watching Walking Dead forever, and I feel like he was the. He was one of the standouts from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, what? yeah. So there was a whole scene with him and Ron Jeremy and the head of the mafia dude where he makes him tell a joke that's super racist. And Rocco, for some reason, hesitates to say the N-word, which no part of me believed that Ro- that Rocco would hesitate to say the N-word. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, like, the, the dude insists that he does. And it's gross. It's, it's a weird gross scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then I don't know. Rocco like sees that there are some mob guys at a strip club, and I can't remember the name of the strip club, although I took note of it at the moment. And he's—I uh, like, believe it was called the Sin Bin or something yeah, like that. That's what it was. That sounds right. Yeah, it had sin in it. I know, yeah. and it was like a rhyming thing. Yeah. Um, and so they go in there and they shoot a bunch of people, and then Rocco and, like, and I Rocco shoot gropes a guy. an unconscious stripper. Uh, yes, Rocco gropes an unconscious stripper, and that's supposed to be very funny. She's unconscious. I thought she was dead. 
No, no, she passed out is what it said. She didn't she oh, didn't get okay. shot. But she said after they shot the first guy, she passed out. That's what the cops were saying in the Yeah. yeah. Um, Pretty sure that was the first hit I ever saw in a film. Oh, oh that's interesting. Yeah. What a, what a debut. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, that's supposed to be funny. We just see, like, Rocco's hand reaching out to, like, grope the thing. And then both the dudes are like, the brothers are like, dude. And then he like, he feels bad, but he feels, like, embarrassed. Like, it's like a thing he mm-hmm. shouldn't have done while people could see him. Sort of thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, and he's like, I want to shoot some, please let me shoot some guys. And they're like, fine. And they just like hand him over some guns and he just like shoots some guys. That's, that's what yeah, he gets, he get. they keep doing this thing where they like, they have to initiate him by having him kill someone, but he does it three times <laughs> in the movie. How many times does he have to do it to prove himself? Well, I don't... You have to justify the scene. Where Willem Dafoe goes, good shooting, shitty shooting, and does right. the thing with his arms. Which I thought that was weird too, because I do like, is that a cowboy thing to shoot across your body like that? I've watched a lot of westerns, and I do not associate that with cowboys at all. But that was the thing that they did was like, oh, we got a cowboy. I, I don't know. I thought that was weird. Whatever. But and yeah. this, I think this was the first place where one of the dudes guessed the improbable thing or something, and Willem Dafoe was like, "You're an idiot." Um. I don't fucking know. Like, what else happens? They like they kill a lot of people. They go through, and then their dad shows up at some point. We don't know he's their dad yet. Well, right. After that one, we have the Italian boss goes to talk to this guy who is a fucking bizarre character who I can, like, they clearly thought he was cool. Like, when they were writing it, they thought it was a cool character. But he doesn't make any sense. He's, like, he's supposed to be a retired mob underboss who now apparently works as a bathroom attendant and slash like dispenser of wisdom to both mafia and FBI guys. It's very strange. I have no idea what's supposed to be happening with that character, but uh, so the, the boss goes to him to tell him that they need this, this like retired hitman that they used to use back in the day to deal with this situation. Uh, what did they call him? Il Duce. That's what they called him. Yeah, and and uh, which is Billy Connolly, who's uh, Billy Connolly's great, but this isn't exactly a uh, stand. <laughs> He's great, but not so much um, in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and we get this whole like that was that whole scene was like played out as a weird joke too of like they're like leading this guy through prison corridors and they've got him on like a platform with wheels that they're pulling along because he's so chained up that he can't walk and they've got like eight guys with shotguns pointed at him the whole time and they put him in this big cage and then it turns out it's for his parole hearing and he gets paroled. It's like a bird cage. Uh, yeah. It's like a giant bird cage that he's just sitting in. That's right. not how yeah. parole hearings work. <laughs> Yeah, it's very convenient timing, as it turns out, though, because apparently he's he's been in prison for like 30 years and now they need him and they they he gets out just in time, I guess. Uh, I, I have I have questions about all of all of their their family dynamic. <laughs> yeah, apparently they don't recognize him. And he doesn't recognize them. And he either. doesn't recognize them either. But so they say that he's been in prison for 25 or 30 years, I think. How old are the brothers supposed to be? I don't think it says exactly. I would guess around thirty. Late, yeah, late twenties, early thirties, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's been in prison for essentially their entire lives. 
And the only way that he ends up recognizing them is because he hears them saying the prayer, which is like a family prayer, as they call it, and passed down from father to son. But how did that happen if he's been in prison their whole lives? Presumably their mom passed it down. Maybe. The same although, that they were in a thousand languages. Yeah, that, which is the only thing we know about their mother, is that apparently she, she insisted that they learn languages. Um, but... I don't know. I, I, I felt, and then, you know, as soon as they realized who he was, of course, then that was, I guess. Yeah. They have like a big shootout where he like, he's wearing like, he's wearing like a, like holster on his body that holds like six guns or something. There was a firefight. There was a firefight. (laughs) This is the most famous scene from the movie is they, they get, we again get Defoe like walking us through after it happened, but this time they actually cut him into the scene of it happening uh, which seems very clever again until you see Reservoir Dogs and realize that they just lifted that s- like straight out of Reservoir Dogs in the scene where Tim Roth is telling the anecdote about being in the bathroom with the drugs. But then you uh, get Willem Dafoe screaming very dramatically, there was a yeah, firefight! Getting so worked up that he pulls his gun and shoots it into the air. <laughs> it's, you know, Dafoe can make it work. But. Once again, I have to reiterate... God damn, I love Willem Dafoe. Oh my god, he's fucking, yeah. he's fucking incredible. There is a scene somewhere earlier on because he, like I said, he, like we said, he is very violently homophobic, but we actually get a scene earlier on where he is in bed with a dude. Right. And gets a call. And the guy keeps trying to cuddle with him and he keeps like smacking him. And that, like, I just, it was just, the scene didn't need to be there. It was just like an additional way to like, and then he calls him, you know, the gay, the gay F word before he wanders out of the room because he wanted cuddles. It's just like this weird, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know if it's, it could be that it's just supposed to confirm that he is in fact gay. Maybe. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. Anyway, they have this whole firefight. They like Rocco's finger gets shot off. Right. And it's one of those things where, like, you've got the three of them who two of them, at least it has been established, are like miraculously good shots. Right. And then you have this other guy who is like the best hitman in the world that everyone's terrified of. And they're standing 10 feet away from each other <laughs> with nothing in between them and nobody can hit anybody. Nobody <laughs> like emptying guns at each other. and They occasionally like nick each other and that's it. Yep. I'm willing to give them this because this happens in literally every big budget movie that has ever been made. It does, but it's always dumb. (laughs) Okay, but I will say I will say that my my out for Troy Duffy on this is that they actually may be miraculously good. If we are supposed to believe that they are actually like overseen by God in some way, which I think we are supposed right. to believe, then their shooting That's is fair. not just is not just it's not just skill, it's or luck, it's, it's a miraculous guided. intervention. And if right. if they are being pulled together, that's that's how I'm taking it. I don't know if Duffy thought it through that far. See, I think that would be a that would be a fair reading if the movie were at all interested in the idea of God actually intervening. But but it isn't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But just, I mean that makes more sense than than the than the face of it that you know the god was not guiding their shooting for that and god was protecting them from his shooting i guess i don't know yeah anyway <laughs> so whatever and then they are like who the fuck was that and then they go to kill more people uh- <laughs> oh for, first they have a very homoerotic scene where they have to tend to their own wounds oh yeah with the- <laughs> 
with an iron, a hot iron, because they can't go to the hospital, and they're all bleeding because they all so got all a little bit each shot. Other and shushing at each yeah. other here, so they. And they've got they've got like gags in their mouths. And <laughs> it's, it's very. You know, uh, I I did watch this in June, which means that officially I have engaged with kink at Pride. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's uh, it's pretty blatant. Yeah, yeah, no, um, it's it's true. So they do that, and then they are like, "We need to kill more people," I guess. Yeah, they found out where the Italian boss was, so then they go to his house and get caught, and Rocco ends up dead, and then the, their dad shows up, and they team up, I guess. Right, and they know they're each other because they're saying the prayer. Right. So, but and in the middle of this, we get Defoe's signature moment where he shows up at, at the. At the house in drag. Well, to, first he first he go first he is very drunk and stumbles into a church. All right, um, and he stumbles into a church, and they are all Rocco sees him, and they like hold that Rocco holds the priest with a gun to his head, and they hold Rocco with a gun to his head. Rocco wants to kill him because he's onto them, right? You know? And they're like, "No, we can't kill him." And he's super fucking drunk, and he basically is like, "Look, I think they're doing the right thing, and this needs to happen." And whatever, and he comes out of there being like, and then, but after that, he is like officially on their side, like he right like, based based him. on that on his drunken confession that he thinks maybe that what they're doing is actually the right thing to do. They apparently just decide to call him and be like, "Hey, we're we're gonna go kill this guy." Yep. Which seemed like a weird choice. <laughs> um, now I'm curious, M. Do you know the prayer off the top of your head? And shepherds, we shall be for the final. <laughs> Power hath descended forth from thy hand that we may swiftly carry out thy commands. And wait, shit, I lost it. So we shall flow. <laughs> so we shall flow a river forth to thee, and teaming of souls shall it ever be. In the patriot filiate spirit of sancti. I just realized we hadn't actually said the prayer yet, and it is a fairly. <laughs> It's very stylish. It's very yeah. stylish. It's very, you know, they do it while they're holding guns to someone's head and then they shoot them. Right. Um, together and it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so then they decide they're going to team up. And um, then they break into a mobster's court hearing. Oh, but first Willem Dafoe does come to the house. That's that's what happens. Yeah, you're right. Willem Dafoe comes to the house right, which, the woman. I don't know what exactly he thought he was doing. He finds out that they're waiting for them, that it's a trap for for them to be going to the house for the Italian mob guy. Oh, right, because he goes and talks to the weird blind bathroom attendant who used to be a mob boss. Right. I mean, I can tell you exactly what Willem Dafoe thought he was doing here. You see, <laughs> he realized that because he's so homophobic, he will never actually be able to stumble into forced sissification. <laughs> And so he has to sit upon himself. <laughs> there you go. Like. Yeah. Um, so he, so we get Willem Dafoe dressed as a woman, and the dudes are super into it. Well, right here we here we get back to the the uh, the guiding principle that I mentioned earlier. If you're tr- wondering why they did something in this movie, it's because it was edgy. Because it. it... <sighs> What does he what does he think he's accomplishing by sneaking into the house? I, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know. He sneaks in. Oh, well, I think we need to talk about trans passing discourse real quick. Sure. Is that uh <laughs> yeah. was not passing no. at all. He, and yet he 
instantly fooled these people to the point where they were willing to fuck him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I remember distinctly having that thought that, like, Willem Dafoe is kind of a weird-looking dude, but he's a much weirder-looking woman. It, Willem Dafoe it's, it's, is a weird-looking dude, but he's sexy. He has a vibe. I, I have a thing for Willem Dafoe a little bit, but the 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 him is oh, well, yeah, I don't, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he's not passing at all. Um, <laughs> like, and it's it's weird that I don't know. And the dude's like gonna fuck him, and he like kittens around on the floor, like whimpering. Yeah, about why? Him. What was he doing? It seemed he like he was gonna he's... let him fuck him. That's what it really exactly. seemed like. Because it doesn't seem like he was intending on killing anyone. Because after he kills the guy, he freaks out. He's like, oh shit, I went too far. I, like, didn't mean to do that. Again, so, what did he think was theory. going to happen? <laughs> what were you saying, Em? My self-sissification theory holds up. <laughs> yeah, no? I mean, it... Honestly, it does. It does. Yeah. It does. Anyway, so instead of the the boys get away and they arrest the mob boss. Um, but he's going to trial and it's sounding like he's he's just going to get off. Um, and I think they said it was like the eighth time he'd been to trial or right. something for different things. And so then they're like, okay. And so the so they all show up at the courthouse. The three of them show up at the courthouse and do this big fucking scene where they give a speech to the fucking courthouse about how they're God's angels or whatever the fuck. And they're going to, you know, be careful that you don't fall on the wrong side of the line. And I'm like, stop pretending there's a line. You don't have <laughs> any scruples on this what the fuck ever um and the the dad makes this young girl watch while they murder the dude presumably so that she can run out and talk to the press which she does um and then i guess they're gonna go elsewhere to kill other people yeah that seems to be the plan is that they're gonna the end? they're just gonna keep doing it that. Yeah, it's, it's a shame that we'll never know what happens next since there was never a sequel. Okay, but <laughs> I legitimately don't remember anything that same. happened in the second one. Neither so. do I. It didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that Willem Dafoe's role was like a cameo, which I was very disappointed by. Well, because like uh, Darla played the stand-in for him. So, yeah, at least that's my dim memory. Anyway, so that's pretty much the plot. Is there anything that either of you feel we have not talked about that you would like to talk about from this movie before we move I remember on? another major technical goof. Oh, please tell. So right at the beginning where he's getting the uh, the phone number or the address off the phone from the pager. Uh-huh. He's listening in Russian. Um, he writes down the phone number in accordance with the English subtitles. Not in accordance with the Russian <laughs> syntax. And so we see it get written down before the Russian actually says it. Right. <laughs> the number probably comes at the end in the Russian or whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so that, that's another one where I watch it and I just go, that's sloppy filmmaking. Yeah. That's a lot of sloppy filmmaking. That's like, uh. yeah. So, M, what did you rate this? Four stars. Four stars. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, honestly, I think it's 90% nostalgia. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Like, this movie brings up so many great nostalgic feelings of just, like, the energy of it and the music of it. 
and the rhythm of it all works so well for me. And it worked so well for me at the time. It just like it is baked into who I am at this point. <laughs> you could strip away everything problematic while keeping the rhythm of the movie and the soundtrack and the quotability. It would be my favorite movie of all time. No question. <laughs> huh. Okay. See, I think that the rhythm feels boring to me at this point. Like I've seen it done better and I don't love I don't love it in general. So like it's not like my favorite thing in general and I think it's been done so much better that like I honestly was mostly just pretty bored. Um, no, I, I will say I don't think it earns the four stars. <laughs> no, I, I understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get it. I have those too. <laughs> Joel, what did you take it down to? Uh, I think I'm down to one and a half at this point. I think I put it at two, so. and it was honestly probably just because I still really like um, I still really like looking at Norman Reedus and Chuck yeah. Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, and then Willem Dafoe, of course, is like a full star. Yeah. What else has, has the Connor guy even been in? Sean Patrick Flannery. Flannery. Um, I guess he's in Saw Final Chapter. I see that. Yeah, I'm looking at his. Oh, he was in that movie Powder. It's true. Apparently. It doesn't look like he's done anything much lately. Oh, he played Powder. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Okay. I don't a lot like a lot of budget horror. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking through his like box. Yeah. yeah, I could, I could, I see he uh, he was in the classic Mongolian Death Worm in uh, 2010. <laughs> yeah. So. See, The Devil's Carnival was a... I think that was a Rob Zombie and the guy from Saw. Uh, that's possible. Oh, and he was oh, in 12 like episodes. He was in, the young in, he was in 12 episodes was, of Dexter. It looks like he played Indiana Jones in the young Indiana Jones, that TV movie series mm. thing. Oh, that's weird. Hmm. I've never seen any of those, but it looks like he played him in, like, at least a dozen of them, which maybe was all of them. I don't know. Okay, so I have an idea for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. We don't have enough of those. Go on. Oh. <laughs> No, I don't. no. Uh, I have no desire to watch all the young Indiana Jones movies and talk about. Although them. I'm, I'm, I'm clicking through these right now, and the first one that I clicked on is directed by Nicholas Rogue, which is a little weird. And I see Joe Johnston did one of them. Oh yeah, they uh, collected some incredible directors. I was saying, there were some people yeah, who were into them. I am also, yeah. by the way, super amused, Em, that you are very on board with watching all of the Airbud Airbuddy movies with me and Jason, but not with watching the young Indiana Jones. <laughs> That does seem like a bit of a contradiction. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a complex person. Yeah, that's, that's Anthony Daniels was in Attack of the Hawkmen. The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones: Attack of the Hawkmen stars Anthony Daniels. I mean, I guess that you know it would have all been Lucasfilm stuff, so yeah, maybe that's not that surprising. But I don't think I've ever actually seen him in anything. Yeah, I'm not sure I have either. <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, I, I, I will say really quick that I happened to notice uh, I saw a thing that I found amusing on the uh, the letterbox page for the Boondock Saints 3. Okay. <laughs> Which, uh, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen on Letterboxd. Sometimes people will write like joking reviews for movies that don't actually exist, and there's a few of them for this one. And one of them says, I expect the pendulum to swing in the opposite direction of the second film. Opening scene is a sweaty, sweaty sex scene between Connor and Murphy, scored by Troy Duffy's heavy breathing. <laughs> that seems, I think that seems as, as likely as anything, honestly. Amazing. <laughs> okay, well, um, M, do you want to pick what we're going to watch next time? 
<laughs> Pick a number for us. Yeah, you can do a random number um, generator. It's out of a hundred. Well, no, because now we're we're low enough. It's seventy four right now. That's how many we have left. Okay, okay, okay. Um, forty seven. Forty seven. Pleasantville. Oh, you could do worse. I really like Pleasantville. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've only seen Pleasantville the one time. Oh, okay, I've seen it uh, multiple times. Uh, yeah, I, I know I hadn't seen it before we did it, and I, I don't think I've watched it since. Okay. So that'll be interesting. I think it's a fun movie. It's it's interesting. Yeah. I'm into it. All right. Okay. I'm down with that. Okay. Well, we can now talk about what we've been watching. Em, would you like to have guest privileges and start with what you've been watching? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I took it upon myself recently to watch through the entire Saw franchise. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I noticed that on your letterbox. Yeah. Interesting choice. Yep. Um, and I will tell you what, they don't all hold up, but the attempt at the continuity and story in all of them is so much fun that I kind of don't mind that they don't hold up. All right. Um, also, I've been watching Cruella. Multiple times. <laughs> over and over. Cruella is so fucking good. It is a great movie. It is 90 minutes of a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. I The 90 minutes that I enjoyed, I really fucking loved. But I really wish we had cut like 20 from the beginning and 10 to 15 from the end. <laughs> I watched, uh, last night I watched Censor in the theater. Which is a independent horror movie from first-time feature director Prano Bailey Bond about a like film censor in the '80s who is editing video nasties and deciding whether or not they can be released, and all of this like triggers memories of her sister dying through childhood, uh, and the movie goes from there. And this was a rather intense experience for you. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good film, but also like for some reason it triggered stuff from my childhood that I hadn't felt in ages and ages and ages. And like it shook me to my core. And like walking back to my car was difficult. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So I, I guess I can't say if it was good or not, but it really impacted me. Right. So. Like hit your buttons, huh. exactly. Yeah. The, the the plot reminds me of a uh, there was a movie several years ago that I believe was called Berberian Sound Studio or something like that, which is like an indie yeah, horror movie. Like Have you seen that? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, was about, it, it was. <laughs> it's about a guy doing sound effects editing for like cheapo Italian horror movies, and he's he's trying to create some sound effects for like a torture scene, and it ends up becoming like this psychological horror thing where he's going crazy. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I was reminded of reading the, the plot of this one. But I'm, I'm curious about this. It sounds like the kind of thing that would interest me. Yeah, it's I think it is well made, especially for a first time director. Mm. So I would recommend it. OK, All right. let's keep an eye out for that one. Um, and then for TV, uh, I watched Modoc. It was fine. I've been thinking about uh, watching that one. Yeah. OK. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's fucking. Um, What's his name? Pat Oswalt. Uh, Pat Oswalt. Yeah. In an animated Marvel shock comedy <laughs> made with the robot chicken team. I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. Doesn't sound yeah. 
Uh, we also watched Rutherford Falls, which I recommend highly, highly, highly. That was a great show. I didn't know anything um, about if you aren't familiar with it, it is Mike Schur's new show for Peacock. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard about this, but I don't have Peacock. So I have Peacock, uh, Joel. You can take mine. Okay, I may do that at some point. The, the, if I don't the, have to watch. The great thing about this show is that it is at least half native cast. Oh, that's awesome. And it is about, like, Ed Helms plays this namesake of this small town, and he's really invested in, like, preserving the history and culture of the town and insisting that it's it's a history that represents both the white people and the natives, and it's a unique story in the U.S. where they came to terms with each other, et cetera, et cetera. And in the very first episode, a... Native kid wearing a T-shirt that says "Land Back" says to Ed Helms's character, "Okay, so why is there only a statue of the white guy?" <laughs> <laughs> and it keeps that energy through the entire season. It's very good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. sounds cool. Also, it has a non-binary character. Ooh, awesome. Well, that's nice. Like that's that's been that's a thing that's been popping up occasionally on TV over the last couple of years. Cool. All right. Anything else, or shall we? That's me. Okay, Joel, you want to go, or should I? Uh, I'm trying. To, what What did we record about last time we recorded? Because I'm trying to find on my letterbox <laughs> diary where I need to start here, and I cannot figure out what we. What was the last thing we recorded about? What was the last thing we recorded about? What an interesting question. Um, <laughs> we recorded about Unborn in the USA. Oh, that's why I don't have it in here because we didn't finish it, so I didn't. I, I didn't record it. it in my, yeah. Okay. The disc we had was damaged, and it's not available. It's online like the anymore. last like ten minutes or something. We watched oh, all except yeah. for that. Uh, I thought that you like doped out of it because it was oh, that no. bad. No. no, it was interesting. No. Anyway, yeah. so yeah. Uh, okay, so but I, I think I think last time I talked about having seen a Quiet Place too. I think that was uh, yes. That was one of the ones I talked about. So, okay. Eric so, and I went to go see it last weekend. Oh, right. And you're mad about it, right? I'm mad about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> Not as mad as that. I was about the first one, but yeah. That's fair. <laughs> um, well, okay. So let's see then. Uh, I finished Mayor of Easttown, yeah. uh, me and everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit tired of the, like, the, I feel like is a thing in this tone of crime drama where you have like, they solve the crime and it's this horrible, tragic thing. And then, you know, halfway through the last episode, they always figure out like, oh, no, it's actually even more tragic and horrible than we thought, because it's actually this other slight variation on what we thought. I feel like that's becoming almost cliche in the genre. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. I, I don't I, I really liked the end of Mare Town. I thought it was I liked I did. I did like most. I mean, I liked it for the most part, but it's kind of a minor complaint, but it is. It is a thing. Um, I watched uh, Bo Burnham's new special, Inside. I haven't dared yeah. to do it yet. <laughs> What's that? I haven't dared do it yet. Yeah. I do you are you a fan of Bo Burnham stuff in general? I have never watched a Bo Burnham stand up special. I I fucking okay. love eighth grade. I've seen clips of him. Obviously, right. I'm on mentally ill TikTok, so bits from the show. Right. <laughs> Um, But apparently Uh, only under over all over specific algorithms. It's apparently barely trending, but I see it every third uh, video. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, 
I, I his his last special that he did make happy is one of my favorite things that Netflix has ever put up. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was I was really excited for this. Yeah, and and I really loved eighth grade too. So um, I honestly like this is like the 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 almost cliche thing to say about the sort of like high concept stand up specials, but I don't really think it's accurate to call it a stand up special. Like that's what he's calling it. And he even calls it that within the thing, but it feels like something entirely different to me. I mean, even aside from the fact that there's no audience, it just doesn't seem like the right categorization for it. But, uh, I did really like it. I've had half of the songs from it stuck in my head all week. Okay. Uh, See, okay. I have I have two things with Bo Burnham right now, and one of the things is that all of my like I I feel like I've I've been having sad in the last month because I my boyfriend and I broke up, and so I I feel like I don't know if I'm ready to like dive into someone else's deep depression thing, um, mm. and also. I watched Promising Young Woman in which Bo Burnham did great, but in which he was my literal nightmare incarnation of a character. And I think I may actually mm-hmm. need a minute before I watch him in something else because that movie fucked me up so badly. That's fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it'll be around. You can watch yeah. it when you feel yeah. up to it. Um, I finally, finally, finally got, got to watch uh, Another Round which is one of the ones from last year that I, I was most sad to have missed yeah. due to the lack of theaters. Up on Hulu. Um, Mads Mikkelsen is one of my favorite actors in the world, and I think his partnership with Thomas Vinterberg has created some really good stuff over the years. Vinterberg's uh, the one who did the hunt, I, right? We disagreed on that. Yeah, I had mixed feelings about the hunt, um, but he also did the celebration, although Mikkelsen wasn't in that. But. Uh, yeah, the celebration was great. Uh, anyway, I loved it. I I thought it was absolutely fantastic, and I really want to move to Denmark and drink with Mads Mikkelsen. Um, <laughs> I believe, Em, you said you thought it was okay. You weren't that into it. It didn't strike me, and I'm wondering if part of that is just that I didn't get to see it in the theater, and therefore I didn't get to, like pay razor sharp attention to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. see I, I didn't see it in the theater either I, I watched it at home but it is that is kind of that can definitely be a thing with with foreign movies for me even still is it it depends a little bit on like how focused I feel I, I do sometimes fall into the like looking at my phone without even realizing it and then I've missed stuff mm-hmm. uh, but I, I was pretty intentional about staying focused on this one because it was one I was really excited about, and I, I do think it paid off. I, I, I would recommend giving it another shot as long as, you know, assuming you didn't hate it. And at some point, I would not I would recommend going back to it, maybe. Um, I would if my current watch list wasn't, like, 3,000 films long. Of yeah, that's fair. Our must-sees. Em and, yeah. em and I, uh, when I, when me and Eric were down there on Friday night, Em pulled up. Um, like watch list stuff on Letterboxd and we started doing uh, Eric's least favorite thing ever of going through the lists and like talking about mm-hmm. what movies are, and we did it for like mm-hmm. an hour and it was great. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Um, I I watched uh, the second of the small axe movies. I watched Lovers Rock, mm-hmm. uh, the Steve McQueen Small Axe series. Uh, Lover's Rock is the one that's been getting the most attention. Everyone's nuts about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it is it is quite good. Uh, it's basically the whole movie is just set at a party. And it just kind of drifts around and follows people through this party. Uh, so there's not a lot of, like, plot to it or anything. And it's only, like, 70 minutes long. But it is very good. Okay. Definitely recommend. Um, and then... 
a few nights ago, I rewatched a movie that had been a favorite of mine as a kid, but that I hadn't seen in years. I rewatched About a Boy. Oh, okay. How was that? Which I was kind of nervous about. So I was like, you know, I when I liked a lot of movies when I was a kid about like the redemption of asshole dudes. Right. And a lot of them don't, don't hold know, up. They don't well. necessarily hold up that well yeah. as an adult. But I actually liked About a Boy better now than I did when oh. I was a kid. There was some layers to it that I didn't really wasn't really on the the right wavelength to get as a kid. I think I think it's a really great movie. I really liked it. Cool. That's not Linklater. Who is that? Who directed? No, it, it wasn't Linklater. It's um, it's a pair of brothers named Chris and Paul Whites. Uh, hmm. They've they've done some other stuff, but nothing. I think they did the first American Pie movie actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they've done some other sort of unremarkable stuff. They did one of them did a movie called In Good Company that I also watched a lot as a kid. That's also on our list. About, uh, oh, that's right. I guess it is. Yeah. yeah. One of them did that movie Grandma with um, with Lily Tomlin that I believe you really liked, Beth. Oh, uh, I did. I loved it. Um, also, though, yeah. Chris White's directed uh, Twilight New Moon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and also that Golden Compass movie that was supposed to be so terrible. Yeah. Um, it's a weird dream. So yeah. Golden movie that uh, was heretical and was going to send everybody to hell. Yes, that one. Yeah, that one. That one. Okay, yeah. Um, at any rate, I suspect at least some of the credit for the uh, for for the quality of About a Boy comes from Nick Hornby, uh, who I believe wrote the screenplay and also the novel that it's based on. Yeah, I believe that's correct. So yeah. Anyway, I was I was very relieved to find out that I still really loved that movie. Uh, and then yesterday, when I was down in Seattle, I went to see In the Heights. Yay! Me, I saw yesterday too. Did you love Did you? it? You okay. can only love it. No, that's, that's I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. Okay. Uh, I, part of the thing for me, I have I have a hard time, a little bit of a hard time the first time I watch any musical because I'm not great at like picking up lyrics that people are singing. They're always better. Aren't the first time I hear a song. Yeah, yeah. And. And of course, a lot of these ones are in Spanish, which added to that. Sure. Um, but it's a very well done movie. It's beautiful. Uh, John Chu, the no, John Chu is a great visual director, and I I mostly just wished that Lin Manuel Miranda hadn't been on screen so much. Okay, he was but, barely on screen, and to be clear, the reason he was but, is because but that, that almost made it worse. Because every time he was on screen, it was like, oh, this is like the comic relief cameo. And okay, but the, the reason he was on the, 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 the reason he was on screen <laughs> is because <laughs> is because they were going to cut that song, and he really and the song is funny. Like the Prague was on it's him. It's you know the dude who plays Washington and. And they're best friends. The Paragua song, they were going to cut the song because it doesn't move the thing a lot. But the only way they could keep the song is if Lynn did the that's song. Not, that's, that's not a good reason for it to be there. Like, they realized that the song didn't add anything I to the really movie. like that scene. So I'm glad it was there. I think it was cute. And that I'm, makes it so much worse okay, that he's in this. Okay. I haven't seen it yet, but I would be upset if they cut any of the pieces from the soundtrack for the movie. I, I'm not. At, I was not at all familiar with the soundtrack. I, I never didn't, didn't recognize a single song from it. Um, I am also very curious to know how they staged it, because I mean the movie takes place all over. I mean they go, they wander all over the neighborhood, and I'm very curious yeah. how they how staged it on. I want to see a behind Broadway, the but, scenes. I'm sure someone will do it on the whole scene of them dancing on the side of the building because that was really nicely done. I'm yeah, that was cool. How how that was done. Uh, but I thought it was beautiful, and I sobbed for basically the entire last hour just cried the whole time uh <laughs> yeah i didn't 
I also didn't really like the end, but oh, wow. um, okay, that's uh, we won't get into that because it's a brand new movie and people haven't seen it. But oh, yeah, I, I did like it. I gave listening it to that soundtrack point. for years. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the end. I thought it was good. I was into it. Okay. Uh, so uh, I think uh, I'm trying to think if I've had any more TV. Oh, I watched the first episode of Loki. Did you Did you watch that yet? Good. Either of you? I liked it. I liked uh, it a lot. I liked the. It's got some cool like. Uh, it's got like some Terry Gilliam Brazil vibes going on, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first episode was just the Umbrella Academy, except without the weird taste of incest throughout. But also, I hated the Umbrella uh, Academy. I was way more entertained by Loki. So. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the first episode of that one, and I, did, I didn't really get into it. I think but, the uh, I think the visuals the visuals reminded me a little bit of Legion. Um, I've seen that comparison as well. Like the the colors are different, but, but the, something about the shapes and stuff. I don't know. But I mean, it's it's every not everything, but a lot of the stuff about the setting is Brazil. I mean, the, yeah, the like weird underground. <laughs> oh, you haven't? No. Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. Um, <laughs> I also really like Owen Wilson in it. He was and great. I thought the two of them were really good together. He was great. So, Apparently, he I'm, had to be convinced I'm, to join the cast. He wasn't so sure he wanted to be in a. It's a weird role for him. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's uh, very good. It's very good. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to more of that. Hopefully it doesn't crash and burn like the other two Marvel series did. Okay, but crash and uh, burning would imply well, that Falcon and Winter Soldier ever flew. <laughs> that's fair, yeah. Um, uh, I think, oh, I... Um, it, Loki will inevitably devolve to please. superheroes flying and shooting lights. It will. Other, I mean, Because probably. Marvel but doesn't there, there so are- anything else no it's true there are better better and worse ways to do that though yeah. uh and i i think uh one division and uh the other one both went bad ways for that but um i also i uh finished caught up on on hacks yes finished the first season of that which is great oh fucking good um fucking good yeah good stuff yeah uh I think that's I think that's about it for TV for me. So that makes it your turn, Beth. Okay. What have you got? Um, I can't remember if I mentioned it last time. Um, did I talk about the Manchurian Candidate last time? I don't remember. I watched the original I believe Manchurian you did. Candidate. Okay. Angela Lansbury. It was great. Um, and then I watched Cruella, uh, which, as previously stated, about ninety minutes of a movie that I fucking was obsessed with, and about thirty minutes of a movie that I didn't care much about. Um, let's see. I watched I watched Coyote Lake on HBO, um, which had been had been on one of my lists, and the cover of it to me made it look like a torture porn movie. <laughs> it looked like Hostel or something, uh, and it kind of has those. It has it has sort of the same elements that I think would make up. A I was gonna movie. say it's it sounds like an American remake of Wolf Creek, which it does, is like an Australian torture porn, um, but it's, it's not that. <laughs> Um, and it is written and directed by a woman named Sarah Seligman, and it was very good. It was really interesting and like subtle and sad, and like there is definitely some violence for sure. But like it is, it is not a torture porn movie. It is a really interesting movie, and I'm super glad that I got a chance to watch it. Um, okay. I watched Quiet Place Part Two. Uh, mm-hmm. Upside. Uh, I like that the kids were sort of the heroes, and the mm-hmm. kids are great, fantastic. Um, I remain pissed off about the existence of the baby and the fact that no one, there is not a single 
character in either movie that even once questions or brings up <laughs> the fact that having like if someone had brought it up and they had had like a few lines explaining it would have changed a lot for me but as it is i consistently walk out of both of these movies feeling like they are set up to be pro-life talking points um and uh i don't trust that john krasinski is not that guy because i think he's an asshole so um struggled with that <laughs> Who who do you what character do you think should have stepped in to be like hey why'd you have the baby? I mean honestly it seems like something Killian Murphy would have done. I mean like I mean he didn't have to be like why did he be like you have a fucking kid? Yes absolutely absolutely. Uh, I don't know that would have that would have felt very strange to me. No it's fucking stupid. Also they're fucking idiots because apparently they don't collect the goddamn antibiotics at the pharmacy and just leave them there for a fucking year and then have to sneak back to again. The idea that there was still anything useful left at that pharmacy was a little weird. But anyway, whatever. There were parts of it I liked. I, I, I want to give a little behind the scenes here for the listeners. Um, this is the third time I have heard Sparkles rant about this. <laughs> and it, it never gets less intense. I yeah. have a lot of feelings. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that night we went home, though, and we watched Josie and the Pussycats, which I had not seen. Probably since I was in high school, but which had burned itself onto my DNA. I still remembered pretty much every line from every song and most of the lines in the movie. And you know what? That movie still fucking slaps. It's fantastic. Um, Yeah, I remember that being one of your favorite movies for a while. And you know what? I'm going to stand by that. That's not true for a lot of movies I liked when I was a kid, but it's great. And I didn't realize until we watched it this time that it is co-directed by a woman, which is extremely rare in 2001 for (laughs) us. (laughs) Um, And it was fucking great. And everyone should go watch Josie and the Pussycats. You know, I just had that same experience of watching an old movie and like it's just in my DNA and truly loving it. And it was called The Boondock Saints. Maybe you've heard of it. Yeah, no, but I think that Josie and the Pussycats (laughs) is a definitely better movie than The Boondock Saints (laughs) is the thing. (laughs) Like, not just out of nostalgia, but also from nostalgia. Um, and then Eric and I went to go see the third Conjuring movie. Uh, <laughs> we were the only people in the theater. Thank goodness we could talk shit about it. It was really dumb. And it is getting increasingly hard to see Ed and Lorraine Warren as the fucking heroes of anything as the world moves on here. <laughs> so yeah, I do. I, I kind of respect the like the like large scale world building thing that they're doing with the Conjuring series. But I, I wish they like, were doing it the, well. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. From what I, I've only seen the first two, but the whole glorification of the the Warrens is tough to swallow. It's gross, yeah. it's gross. And this one particularly really relied on like us supporting their love sort of thing, and that was right. Um, and I watched Desperately Seeking Susan, which I had never seen before. Um, it's a it's sort of a dumb like zany comedy from the mid eighties, but all of the clothes are fantastic and mid eighties Madonna is gorgeous and it was a fun movie to watch. Um, and then I watched In the Heights, which we've already talked about. Uh, TV shows wise, I did watch the first episode of Loki. Have you watched the first episode of Betty yet? Season two? Oh, is that up? Yeah. Season two. I didn't see that. The first episode I, is I up. I didn't realize that was up. Um, so you should go watch it because okay. it's great. Um, yeah. And super fun. I have been watching, well, I got Peacock recently. Um, so I watched the third season of AP Bio, which I didn't think was very good. 
Um, yeah, it felt like they really like ran out, like the concept of the show sort of got run out in the first two seasons. And the third one, it just felt like they didn't know what they were doing. They just kind of bounced mm-hmm. around with these characters. Um, okay. And I watched Peacock's, uh, Peacock's new series of Saved by the Bell, which is honestly much more clever than it has any right to be and is overall very fun. Um, probably especially if you watch Saved by the Bell a lot as a kid, but I think in general it's pretty fun. Um, and I watched the new season of Shrill. Which I liked a lot. And the final season. The final season. Yeah, I wish the ending I didn't love, but uh, other than the ending, uh, I thought it was their best. I thought it was their strongest season overall. I think that season one was the strongest one because it was like A.D. Bryant finally breaking out of SNL and having something to say and having a really strong point of view to say it with. And then after she got done with that, I, I I always felt like it kind of lost its direction. I thought it was really I thought the thing they did in this season where they have her like fuck up and write something that she shouldn't have written, that she shouldn't have done. And like and like have to like deal with the consequences of that and like figure out like how to like how to make amends, how as a white person who was maybe well-meaning, but also maybe didn't think things through. I actually don't feel like I've seen that that plot line played out, especially they played it out for a minute. Like they did not just let her off the yeah. hook with it. And I, I really appreciated that. I thought it was really cool. Um, So I don't know. I think I, I, I overall liked the third season probably the best. But the ending, unfortunately, does just sort of end. And, um, you know, then they got canceled. So <laughs> that's too bad. Anyway, I think those are the majority of things that I have watched that we haven't already talked about. So I think that's about all I got. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we're up over two hours here. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, we should probably wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next time we will be back to talk about Pleasantville. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us, yeah. Em. That was great. Yeah. And everyone yeah, go listen. Absolutely. I'm glad I got to talk about this perfect flawless this movie. Perfect flawless movie. <laughs> uh, everyone go listen to Idle Curiosities because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Good show. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.